Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 59 of Comfort Films Podcast. Today we're continuing our holiday series talking about one of my favorite movies, John's favorite movies, and my mom's favorite movies, especially for Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life, which I'm sure every single person listening to this has also seen 58 or more times. If you're in our age group, you remember when it was on television nonstop, I would just see the schedule and it would just be overlapping. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful <laughs> life. It's a wonderful life. I kind of really only know the movie in sections because I would see a section of it. Then I'd have to go do something. Then I'd come back and be like, oh, great. I can pick up again. And then I get this other section. Yeah. So it's like the movie's in, in pieces for me. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly one of the things I love about it. I have probably watched this from every scene forward, you know, and, and anytime we saw it on television, we would stop. And yeah, they show it on on the holidays all the time on all the different channels because I guess the rights kind of lapsed mm -hmm. so they could show it for free. And so it's got like this huge life on like television, cable, like everywhere. And ever since I was a kid... I just remember watching this constantly. And if there's nothing else on at Christmas but A Wonderful Life, I'm fine with that. I'm watching it. I love it. Would you call it the Goodfellas of Christmas films? <laughs> I probably wouldn't have, but now I will All right. for you. Thank you. Um, all right. So what happened was we were thinking about what are we going to do for Christmas? You know, we thought about, you know, different episodes oh, that yeah. we could come up with. And I thought I also wanted to do something with family. Um, and I wanted to call my mom up and see if she would do the show with us, which is awesome. She said yes. And I asked her the question that I knew the answer to, which was, what is your favorite Christmas movie? So I kind of stacked the deck for myself on this one, knowing that she would pick It's a Wonderful Life. I know that you like other movies, Mama, but I know this is the one. So let me go ahead and introduce my mom before I continue babbling on. <laughs> my mom's name is Jean Hughes. She lives in Mississippi. She's currently an English teacher and drama teacher at my old high school, Central Homes. And she used to be a, a work at a bank giving out loans. So maybe you have like a special take on the Bailey building and loan now because you spent many years helping people get loans for their businesses and homes. Uh, what else would you like us to know about you, mama? Um, well, um, probably that, um, I'm very much, um, a person who loves children and animals. Uh, we've got a plethora of both <laughs> all around. Uh, I help my husband take care of his hunting dogs, and um, we've got, they're all our children. Now that our real children have flown the coop, we've got other, <laughs> we've got replacements, Georgia. <laughs> That's okay. I love Jasper like a human brother. I'm sure we'll hear him barking in the background, and that's okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess the thing that I would have to say about myself is that 
I've always had a, a great love for good literature, for a good story, uh, especially a story that has deep characterization. Um, and that's what I teach my students a lot. We talk about um, anytime that we are in a literary unit or something that we are doing a project on, that's one of the first things that we do is we start to look at the characters and work through the characterization so that we know how the story is going to develop. Because if you don't have the characters, you really don't have the story. And, um, and that's the thing I think that I love the most about what I do now is that. And uh, we just finished our uh, production for this year for our high school. And that probably is the highlight of my life. I have more fun with that than anything. But it's just because I have like 30 to 40 kids all around me all the time. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. Uh, it keeps my mind young and thinking on younger levels. And I kind of like that. Um, I don't want to get old and stagnant. So that it, it kind of keeps me a little bit more lively, I think, than I would be on my own. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, because, you know, I always think of both you and me as, like, lone wolf types, you know. We <laughs> always like yeah. reading and, you know, individual activities. But now that you've gotten older and you started working with kids, I think you really found your calling there. I feel like I have. It's, um, I work, like you were saying, I worked at a bank for 22 years, and... Um, in a lot of different departments in that bank, uh, all the way from data processing uh, up to the loan department, which is where I was when I retired from there. And I guess it, it's exactly like what you said. There's something about that bit of background for me that in my older years, going back and watching uh, it's a Wonderful Life. You watch it now with that. Well, I'm watching it now with that new um, level of thought that I would not have had when I was younger before I started working at a bank, especially in the loan department. So it's made it quite interesting, actually. And um, I, I've loved the experience that I had at the bank but teaching and being with uh, children, not, you know, not the little kids anymore, but which is kind of where I started out, but it's with high school kids. And if you had asked me years and years and years ago um, what I thought my uh, forte would have been, it probably would have been with younger children, but I would not say that now. Um where I am with the high school uh, and the children anywhere from oh, 14 to 18, uh, that's where I like to be. That's where I want to be. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's good. I was really glad that you ended up taking on that challenge. It is a big challenge. Oh, yeah. When you find <laughs> but something, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. When you find something you like, right? I mean, that's oh, that feels good. When yeah. you find where you want to be and then you get to do it. I mean, yeah, that seems a lot more fun than the bank. Like, 
I mean, let me just ask some bank questions here, and, and we'll frame this in It's a Wonderful Life. Would you give Martini a loan for that house? <laughs> I probably would have on a personal level, but it, I kind of also understood where they were coming from in a lot of ways because now, uh, and I think that that's one thing, and we'll talk about that later, I'm sure, but I think that that's one thing that is so refreshing about being able to go back and watch a movie that was made back in the 1940s. Before the corporations took over everything. Exactly. Where, where, you you know, a handshake meant as much, if not more than a signature on a document and where you could um, loan money just on somebody's personality and promise. And you can't do that anymore. And I think that we've lost something in a lot of ways by being in a situation now with all of the uh, modernism, I guess you'd say, and technology and so forth, that we don't have that anymore. And I think it kind of has stolen our sense of community away from us a little bit. Sure. Yeah, that was huge for me when I was watching it this time. Um, I thought about, you know, community a lot uh, because I grew up in a small kind of place and you still live kind of in that same community mm-hmm. and you have found a great community through your teaching and working at that school. And, you know, John and I now we live in a huge city. You know, we have our small senses of community at different places that we go to. But it isn't the same as what is, you know, portrayed in this movie. And this movie is actually showing a time when people were starting to move away from that. Because you have, you know, the the character of old Mr. Potter, who is more like, you know, this like evil mustache twirling rich guy um, <laughs> who, you know, he does look at people like, on paper not on you know who they are as a person whereas the baileys george who we see throughout the movie because he's our main character but even more so i think his father was really committed to this idea of community and being uh, you know somebody that helped build community and i think that's probably like the number one theme of this movie that i maybe didn't really think about as much before uh, I watched it this time. Well, I grew up in the suburbs in New England, and that's where this is supposed to be set. And yes, you did really know everyone in town. You know, you went to the same church, you went to the same pizza place, you went to the same movie theater. Everywhere you went, you would see someone, you say, hey, how you doing? And you just had a feeling that, you know, I I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, everyone was like, bunking together or something but we all had you know like a we, we had that community and you know? shared interests yes in yes. everybody doing well yeah. yeah yeah i mean that what struck me here is that you know one of the themes of the bailey's you know business is that a working person deserves to be able to afford a nice home mm. and that's an issue now I mean, we we don't see that anymore. We see people actively saying, 
that, you know, even if somebody has a minimum wage job but and they work 40 hours a week, that they're not working hard enough and they need to get a better job or they need to go to school to make more money so that they can own a home or afford a place to live. And I don't really think that's true. I think the Baileys had it right. I think if somebody is working, you know, a working person, that they deserve to be able to support their family on their income. So, you know, I think that it's a message that I really wish people nowadays would let sink in. I know they've seen this movie, so why aren't they learning from it? <laughs> well, even the rap party for this, we saw like some footage of, of like the party that they had for this film and they just went to the park and they had like potato sack races and people were just, you know, having a picnic. It, it was, was just nice day and super it was super wholesome. Right. And you know, you had like the cast and the crew there. You even had Mr. Potter there. He still yeah. looked a little bit like a jerk, which is good, you know. <laughs> Poor Lionel Barrymore. He could have been the nicest person in the world, but nobody cares because no. he played Mr. Potter too well. Yeah, he's too evil. Mr. Potter is just so incredibly evil and he is like the killer of hope he is the person that i i don't know he is seriously the angel of death if you want to change your life view you would go to this man because he would just destroy you well yeah i mean it's so hard when george goes to see him mm. and tries to ask him for help yeah the thing that stood out so much to me in that meeting with him is Lionel Barrymore is a, a wonderful in that in that role too he was so believable in that role kind of like you said Georgia he was almost too believable <laughs> but he um the the thing that stood out to me so much and we were kind of brought in to the background of that we knew you know the watchers we knew that he was the one that had the money we knew where the money was and he was so subtly evil that it was it was it was surprising even knowing that he was going to do what we all knew he was going to do you kind of would think he would break after a while and just be like all right all right here's your money idiot go on or whatever but really he just saw this as his opportunity he'd been waiting for mm -hmm. for years and years and years and poor old idiot uncle billy who uncle just want to smack around a little bit and he <laughs> deserves it maybe um, you know he just took advantage of uncle billy's problem you know his forgetfulness and uh, absent-mindedness and, you know, he just grabbed the moment and ran with it. Well, and it's funny because just about, I know I'm the only person in the world who does this, but just about every time I watch this movie, I get to the end, I feel really good. You know, you're always going to feel good at the end of this. And then as soon as it's over, I jump on YouTube and pull up <laughs> this SNL sketch from, I'm guessing it must have been the late 80s, early 90s where William Shatner comes on and says, you know, we found this alternate ending of It's a Wonderful Life. We're going to show it to you for the first time tonight. And it's Dana Carvey doing his Jimmy Stewart impression, Dennis Miller playing Harry, the late, great Jan Hooks as Donna Reed. 
the very very lamented late great phil hartman as uncle billy and basically you know they show the scene of everybody coming and pouring the money on the table and then they all get together and go kick the shit out of mr potter because <laughs> that's what you really wanted to see at the end of the movie and i love it because as much as i love you know the good feelings i also kind of like a small part of me wants to see mr potter just you know punished somehow we all i think from time to time want to see uh want to see justice in situations like that and sometimes sometimes we hold back trying to be um kind but but you're exactly right it's like you know there at the end it's like okay I'm so glad that the angel got his wings and that you're going to live happily ever after. But I'm I'm going to go and do a beat down on old Potter man. You know, so exactly. I, you know, it's like yeah. he's gone, he's done for. I'm gonna get him. Yeah, it's like the angels have done their thing. Now it's time for the devil. Now it's time for now it's time for us to go and beat him down. <laughs> But I love that. It makes me laugh so hard every time. And it's also like super satisfying. Um, But, you know, and we do know that Mr. Potter in the world of this film will get justice because, you know, he was trying to bring George Bailey down and he still couldn't, you know, and and Bailey building alone is still going to be the thorn in his side, you know, and eventually overtake him because their business model of like, honesty and trying to help the regular people is paying off we have that scene where that guy comes in and says look bailey park is you know it's it's dangerous to you you know it's making your place look really bad and eventually i'm gonna go get a job from that guy because i don't you know i don't think what you're doing is sustainable so i know that there is justice but i want to see it i want to see potter going down well, it needs to happen. And SNL did it for me. You know what I would like to have done after <laughs> after George got all his money together and and everybody left, we could all have gotten together and sneaked over there and pushed Potter down the hill, a very snowy, icy hill, in his uh, wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, I think we're in. You know, they did it. Like Ernie and Bert were on it. <laughs> Oh, of course, Ernie and Bert, they, they had that, you know, we, we could have wait, we could have flagged down the taxi. We would have been there. Yeah. It would happen. I mean, Bert is the police. So if he's on your side, you're fine. Like he'll orchestrate a cover up within the department. I'm sure of it. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, I would like to, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to point out one little tiny scene yeah. I think that a lot of people may have overlooked some because uh it was a quick scene and all but it's so you know you get aggravated or or I, maybe aggravated is not a good word highly irritated at Uncle Billy uh and know that it's his fault you know what's happened if he would just take a little more time and and focus into what he's doing but of course that's not part of his character to be that way it's not and then 
it shifted over after they had looked and, and everything blew apart and, and all. And he was looking and pawing through everything at his house. And it showed his pet squirrel coming and putting his little paws up on Uncle Billy's uh, uh, shoulder. And then it, it showed his bird and the other animals. And you just see something so endearing about him that you didn't see before. You're just thinking, this is so, he's such an idiot. <laughs> You know, if it weren't for him, George wouldn't have all these problems and all. But then you see this side of him that is so warm and so endearing that you you really can't feel bad toward Uncle Billy. Yeah. Everybody has their own gifts, you know. And, And Uncle Billy, while I do think I would have been raging out on him like hardcore, um, I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he means well. And I think that, you know, possibly he has ADHD and just was born too early for medication or something. Okay. Because we do, you know, when George uh, sees his mother at the boarding house and like the alternate universe where he was never born, he finds out that Billy has been in like an asylum or sanitarium or whatever. And so that he does have some maybe form of mental illness or just inability to cope that probably at the time people just didn't know how to manage. Well, I think the whole thing could have just been circumvented because, you know, Uncle Billy, you're not going to fire him. You know, he's still part of the team. But I wouldn't have Uncle Billy doing anything that's important. You know, like Uncle Billy can take out the trash. You know, Uncle Billy can answer the phone. You know, Uncle Billy can open the mail. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uncle Billy can talk to people, but like, Uncle Billy in $8,000 by himself, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I know what you mean. Like, it's, he's not a bad person in any way, but what he does in that scene, it's just like, and, and here's what kills me. He wants to take the time to tell off Potter, which I fully understand. I we fully all get it. Yeah. Like, Again, I, I'm with you guys. Like, I, I, oh, man, Potter. But I would not tell off Potter if I would kind of forget about the actual reason I'm there. And because, you know, Uncle Billy takes the time to tell off Potter, right, is the reason that he forgets about the money. And we end up, you know, in a very bad bad situation when you're dealing with someone like potter i guess that's kind of the message it's like you can tell that person off but it doesn't do anything because they're so horrendous that they just have an unlimited well of evil you know when george goes to potter and says can you help me you know the scene you talked about gene it is such a heavy scene and you feel so bad for george bailey and not only does potter not help him he doubles down and calls the police on him to arrest him. When he's actually the thief, right. by yeah. the way. Oh, Hello. man. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, this movie has so many emotions in it that, like, by the end, you know, y- you feel great without fail. Every time I cry, every time I go, oh, my God, it's beautiful. Oh, my God, the family. And then he ripped up, he ripped up the, the warrant, and he and they're singing, and they gave money. I love it. Zuzu's pedals. Zuzu's pedals. Yeah. I, you know, it's, no, no. it's perfect. I mean, it's a perfect film. And when we watched it just now, 
they had done a, a restoration yeah. of the actual film. And uh, they said that the, like the original, you know, elements were, were deteriorating. And so they had to do something quick to preserve it. So they did this digital 4K scan and it is incredible. It looks better than I have ever, ever, ever seen it. Yeah. And the clarity on it is so amazing. Mm -hmm. And the greatest thing about it for me is that you can see Jimmy Seward's face. Yes. So well. Mm -hmm. And his acting is so good in this. Like, I love him in everything. Everything. We had this conversation before when we did our Rear Window episode, which, yeah. Mama, I know is another one of your favorite <laughs> movies of him as well. So good. But between this one and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, those are, like, the two best performances just about of anyone not just of jimmy stewart like his like passion is so intense and when you can see his face really so well you know the scene that always gets me and actually i have to say i start crying from basically the opening frame of the movie <laughs> like the title <laughs> comes up and i'm already pre-crying so i can be ready <laughs> but like the scene where he's just had it and he's at the bar and, you know, Frank Haber's, like, punched way in on his face. Um, that was actually, I read trivia, it was a wider shot. But when Capra saw what Jimmy Stewart did in that scene and, like, how he's crying, but his face changes. And it isn't just, like, crying. It's, like, his eyes, like, well up. And then the tears, like, spill over because it's, like... He's been trying so hard to hold all this back and then it just lets go because it's it's like a dam overflowing. Right. He actually punched in um, on the on the film. So the quality of that shot is usually a little bit grainier than the rest of the movie because he had a wider shot, but he wanted to be closer on Stewart's face so he almost kind of like zoomed in on the film to make that wow. shot bigger so that his face would just be like central to the frame to me that that scene I think and th there are a lot of scenes throughout the movie like really from the beginning to the end um, it to me it's just such a phenomenal film like what John was saying it takes you through such a roller coaster of emotion from from really from like you said when you hear the first strains of the music playing until the very end um when they're singing that last fi the final song and and all and the bell rings and everything it it's just such a deeply emotional movie and I think, and, and I guess it goes back to the characters. To me, it's the characters that make the movie. Uh, and Jimmy Stewart, and you know this, y'all both know this, is like my all-time favorite. And that is the reason. That scene where he is, and, and it's such a, it's a close-up, and you see the look in his eyes and the emotion on his face and it's like you say you see the tears well up and then just spill down his cheek 
and it's heartbreaking. It, it's it, that is a heartbreaking scene because you know that you know, and he's begging God, you know, and, and knows that he's not really, you know, God. I I know that I you don't hear from me very often, and, and you know, he's talking to God, and he it's it's almost like this is my last ditch ditch effort to get things together and and all and that to me is you just see such complete deep emotion on his face that it it would be hard in that moment of time to think that he's not George Bailey yeah he is George Bailey right then right there he is George Bailey not Jimmy Stewart anymore he is George Bailey and I love that. I love that. That to me is what makes him one of the best actors I've ever, I've ever watched. And yeah. uh, that's funny that you should mention because those are two of my other favorites. Is Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I love that. And uh, Rear Window. Yeah, they're both great. Well, you know, just uh, something that I thought about because, you know, we see so many times in this movie that George wants to travel the world. You know, he, he's always disappointed. Like every time it's about to happen, it doesn't happen. But his character in Rear Window was an adventure travel journalist <laughs> and went all over the world and took all these pictures and had all these adventures. So I kind of thought, you know, that maybe the rear window Jimmy Stewart character is like an alt universe, George Bailey Wow, who made it out and got to do what he, he wanted escaped. to do. <laughs> he escaped from Bedford falls and now he's the world traveler. <laughs> That's smart. I so, never yeah, thought of that. If you watch those together, then you get like, you know, George gets to travel. He gets to have gone to Antarctica. So you get to be happy for him. <laughs> that's, that's so good. Like, I'm honestly, I never would have thought of that. I, I like, as you started to say it, I was like, Oh my God. Right. And I was like, Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, there are so many things in this movie too, that, that I caught and I'm sure there's some that I missed, but one of the big things that we have is Mary has that drawing of George Lasso's The Moon, right? Mm -hmm. And then many years later, we had Jim Carrey do Bruce Almighty, where he literally does that. He grabs the moon, and then he pulls it. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. But And that's actually another movie of a guy who talks to God about how dissatisfied he is with his life, and then learns that he actually had a good life after all. See, it's crazy. Smart. They all loop around. I mean, now here's one yeah. that I, there's no, like, I don't feel that <laughs> thematically no connection. The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Um, <laughs> yes, of course. I, I <laughs> with Andrew, Andrew Dice, Dice Clay. <laughs> yes, I do like that movie. Um, <laughs> booty time. Booty time across the USA. I don't remember it as much as you do, apparently, but I did like it. Ed O'Neill, Robert Englund. No, okay. I remember liking it. That's yeah, right. It, and that, and that, it happened that they were at that crossroads of the world. Yes, on Sunset Boulevard, where they had that scene, or he his office is there or something. Yeah, I remember that, which is completely meaningless. So. 
Well, I don't have much more than that. He was he was sent to track down someone named Zuzu Petals. Oh, oh got it. And, and like his <laughs> and his voice was hilarious because he has like that that funny thing. voice that he does. Zuzu Petals. <laughs> Zuzu Petals. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, we should watch that again. I remember liking it. I loved it. Anyway. I loved it. Yeah. Um. So I think that it's probably fair to say that we all probably think george is our favorite character in this movie but if you had a second favorite character who would you pick probably somebody that would i guess would probably be somewhat obvious um is donna reed um she to me was an amazing amazing um character to play along beside him I think because he was always wanting to leave and to see the world and to experience life outside of Bedford Falls. And she was so perfectly, perfectly content to be there. And that was her home and that's where she wanted to be. She had no desire to go anywhere else because that is where everyone was that she loved. That was where the life was that she wanted. And I love, love, love the scene when they were little kids and they are at, um, he has gone to work, you know, at his, his oh, uh, yeah. work after school at Gower's, at, yeah. uh, at Gower's uh, drug store and um, is behind the counter and she is, it's so funny. I think it's so char. it's charming, I think, when um, he's asking her what she, what kind of ice cream she wants. And she tells him that she uh, wants, she thinks she wants chocolate. And uh, he said, says, what about coconut? I don't like coconut. And that's when he brings out his uh, National Geographic, and he said, not just everybody can belong to the National Geographic Society. <laughs> and, uh, and he shows her the magazine, and he's so proud of himself for having received his little certificate and everything. And, uh, and she is so perfectly content to sit there and be happy for him, for his happiness, when she has no desire for the things that he wants, none whatsoever, the desire that she does have, and she leans over and she says, is this your bad ear, George Bailey? I will love you for the rest of my life. And that's when she's just a little bitty kid, you know, just a young little girl and everything. And she did. She did. She loved him for the rest of her life. She was loyal she overlooked the things that, you know, just like for me, for instance, it's like, well, if uh, if you don't love me more than the traveling and the wanting to get out of here, then just take yourself on <laughs> and, uh, and all. But, but she was never like that. It was never like that. She always understood him. She loved him for being what he was. And that's exactly what she did the whole time even you know when he was going through his meltdown and and you know kicked all of his uh architecture over that he had had done which 
you know, that was, I thought that was a good scene too, because it showed the, you know, the, the miniature bridges and buildings and all that he had. And he's really quite brilliant and, and all, and you see that there's something, it's almost like a butterfly that is trying to get out of its cocoon, but for some reason or other, it can't quite break free. And it always knows that it's got these big, beautiful wings that need to spread, but it never can. And all, and and you see that in him, and you see how it holds him that way. But she doesn't see it that way at all. She loves him just exactly for who he is, and she doesn't expect more than just love in return. And I, 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 I like that about her. It almost, it's almost, I think that a lot of modern girls would probably think that she was just sort of a pushover, maybe. You know, don't you, um, don't you want to uh, do something more with your life? But do you know what her life was? That was her life. And that's what her she children. wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Her children, her husband, her home. That was her life. I think it's fair to say, like, and I, I agree with you. I think a lot of people would look at her now and see somebody who they, they perceive to be unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that <laughs> to be a good feminist, you have to respect women's choices and some women care about things that other women don't i mean mm -hmm. i didn't have children i'm not much of a parenting type you know as far as that goes i i, I inadvertently parented a lot of people in my life who were not my biological children but <laughs> not on purpose and not because i wanted to but you know, I, I, whenever I'm reading a book or something, you know, that's about self-improvement and it gets to the parenting chapter, I'm like, oh, I can skip this one because this isn't for me, you know, and I recognize that isn't for me, but it is for some other people. And for some people that's, you know, could be the most important thing. And the thing that they've wanted more than anything else is to have a family, you know, and I think it's very valid to devote yourself to that if that's the thing that you care about the most mm -hmm. I, I i have no judgment toward anybody like that but i do agree that i think other people might have a hard time seeing that and the other thing with her is where george is more extroverted really right he his focus is on the external you know mm -hmm. i'm not saying he's not a deep thinker and things like this because he is and but he's always talking to people. He's always thinking about what he can do for the community or for the world even. Because he wants to do things on even a larger scale than just Bedford Falls. Right. But he, you know, he's he's outwardly focused. Whereas I think Mary is more inwardly focused. And for her, she goes around doing a lot of really powerful things in a very quiet way because yes. don't forget that the person who orchestrates that beautiful ending where everybody comes in <laughs> and saves George 
is her. You know, we don't see her going out and making all these calls and dragging all these people out and doing all this stuff. You know, starting kind of the phone tree or whatever, getting everybody helping. But she's the one who did that. So, you know, Mary is tough in her own very silent way. Mary is the one that actually offers up all of their wedding money to keep the bank open. She is the one that does that. It's not George. She does it. And that is such a big move. Yeah. Like, I mean, can you imagine It saves his business. It saves the building alone. Because that's how they're able to stay open when there's like a run. And the $242 guy shows back up at the end (laughs) <laughs> and gives money to George. So he turned out to right. be a good guy after all. Yeah. And I love the little lady who says she only wants seventeen fifty. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was so good. I love Donna Reed in this too. I remember us watching the Donna Reed show on Nickelodeon when I was a little kid um, together. And kind of thinking that that was so saccharine and sentimental in a way. But that Donna <laughs> Reed was still really good. And, you know, I don't think that it's wonderful life is a sentimental film like i think a lot of people do i don't see it that way i see it as an emotional movie for sure but i don't ever see that it falls into sentimentality um i think that the sentimentality is when you you know you're so emotional that it's over the top to me this never goes over the top well i think that's a big part of the actors in this yeah. and what, what they bring to the table, because we really believe these really difficult, difficult turns. And, you know, I mean, going back to, to George in the bar, he's, he's in there, he's drunk, he's crying, he's pleading to God, right? Help me. You know what I mean? Then <laughs> the, the Welsh guy, you know, finds out who he is <laughs> and then just turns him and punches him in the face. And then he has to go charge off. So it's like this descent you know, that this character takes, I mean, it honestly could be comical if you think about it, you know, if it was played by somebody else, you know what I mean? Like, oh God, please help me. Is that the guy? Yeah. Whack. That's funny. (laughs) Right. So it's, it's, I think that the people involved in this had so much that they were bringing to the table in -hmm. terms of expertise. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's something to this. I mean, so this was by Liberty Films, which Frank Capra and two other directors came together and they started their own production company and they shot on the RKO lot. And I feel like this is someone who, well, Frank, Frank Capra is, is a director that really wanted to have control. He didn't want any interference. He had his vision. And I feel like we get that full passion in this mm-hmm. film. And there's nothing that's coming around, you know, and again, this whole film centers around, you know, Clarence, well, not entirely, but Clarence getting his wings is a big deal. And how do we know it's by a bell ringing and it's by Liberty Films. And what do we see at the beginning of the film? We see that bell ringing. And that's like, I am an independent artist right now. I am doing this. So, John, who is your favorite character? I got to go with Nick. You know, oh Nick, Nick from the bar. I I like good Nick, not bad Nick. Bad <laughs> Nick, forget it. I like good Nick. You know, I think Nick just seems like a solid dude. You and know, he works for Martini. Yeah, like Nick's the type of guy who'd give you a ride to the airport. Wouldn't want any money. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> you know, it's like if you're feeling hungry, he's like, you want a sandwich? You know what I mean? He'd go get you one or he'd make you one. I bet Nick makes yeah. a great sandwich. But bad Nick yeah. has like attitude. Yeah, it, it to me it sounds, he goes from being uh, this really all around good guy that's, well, like you say, if, you know, if you, you know, are down on your look or whatever and you walk in, he, he'll make a sandwich for you, you know, or, um, you know, give you, give you something to drink, uh, while you're waiting for a cab or something like that. And, uh, and all, but bad Nick to me sounds like a gangster, (laughs) you know, all of a sudden he turns from just being this great neighborhood guy, you know, that, that, uh, is there waiting the bar for, uh, uh, a man that I'm sure is his friend, you know, I'm sure that, that they are friends with each other, you know, and, and all, and, and then all of a sudden in the alternate universe that George finds himself in, all of a sudden then Nick turns into this really gangster type guy. <laughs> yeah. It's really you know, you, good. You think that, you think that all the bootleggers are going to jump out from behind him? <laughs> you know? It seems like, like it. He yeah. has those. Uh, he has those uh, gorillas, you know, taking the guy out, yeah. Yeah. throwing out Gower mm. and Clarence and uh, and George. Nick is the godfather of Bedford Falls. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so the thing that we we were we watching it. Okay, it's pretty funny. So Nick's voice. Kind of sounds like the voice that Alan Ruck did as Cameron Fry and Ferris Bueller's Day Off when he <laughs> called into the principal, called into Ed Rooney, and he did that fake voice. Rooney, you know, <laughs> he's like, like telling him that Sloan's grandfather died, and he's like, Rooney, <laughs> <laughs> I want you outside yeah. with her. No, yeah. I don't want you. I don't want you inside. I want you out front, standing on the stairs. And then Ferris is like punching him in the arm. It was so funny when you said that. I laughed my butt off last it's, night. I mean, it sounds it's it. just it's like just it's, it. It, it it's crazy. It is. I, I wish I could do the voice better. It is like a. It's like a cartoony kind of gangster voice. He's like, yeah, yeah I see, you know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Sorry, John. Always did a spit take there. I. It, I really enjoy it. I <laughs> really that's enjoy what it. It's like, I was like, in almost, the back. almost like James Cagney. Yeah. You know, yeah. just a little bit James Cagney like. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it sounded like. I was in the other room and John was rewatching that scene. And in my head, I just started being like, yeah, I see, like from the cartoon. I couldn't deal with it. And that is like a James I like, Cagney. I think my, one of my favorite lines that he did was when. Uh, when uh, he was calling them to come and throw the throw them out, and he he says something about what are you trying to do? Bring some character into the place. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you trying yeah, he to says do? That to clear you know, bring some character in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I want to go to Martinis. I never want to go to Nick's bar. Yeah, no. Martinis <laughs> seems like a right. nice place to hang yeah, out. Yeah, it, it really. Yeah, it did. Nick's, it sounds. Like, Seemed like a good place to for everybody in the neighborhood to come hang out, you know. Yeah. It, it did. So my favorite not my favorite like not George Bailey character is really hard to narrow down because I like so many people in this, but I think I would have to go with Ernie, the cab driver. I just love him. I think he's so funny. 
I love that guy's face. Like, he just has, like, such a great character actor kind of face. And, you know, he's such a nice guy, and they always want to help George. And, you know, from the time he's a young man until even, you know, the very end, like, Ernie's always there and always, like, a fixture. And then, you know, when <laughs> they... When it's like the alternate universe where George was never born, you know, it's such a weird thing when he gets into the cab and Ernie doesn't know him, you know, yeah. it's like such a shock because it's like, this is this guy that's always been there. He's always been friendly and know that, you know, that he helped this guy get a house and he's like, you've seen my wife. <laughs> she ran <laughs> off with my kids and I live in a shack in Potter, Pottersville or whatever. And it's, it's, it's just a great scene. And I love it when Bert and Ernie, like, are doing, you know, the honeymoon night. Yes. For George and Mary. It's so sweet. You know, it's they get this so guy sweet. to bring in these posters of all these exotic places that George would love to travel. And they sing, you know, I love you truly outside. <laughs> and it just gives me such a little laugh, you know, because at the end of it, they feel so good about what they've done. And Ernie, like, kisses Bert on the forehead. <laughs> and then Bert, like, <laughs> smacks his hat down. <laughs> like, like, oh, what are you doing, you yeah, joker? So but I, I really like that. That's one of my favorite scenes. And, of course, it's the old house. And that's, like, yeah. one of my favorite lines is that, you know, Mary says, this is what I wished for. Yeah. Mine, too. That, that, and I have a, well, you know this, Georgia, too, is I have a thing about, about old houses and, and the history behind old houses. Because, to me, it's not just walls and brick and things like that. And I think that that's one thing that she said that was so endearing about her character to me, going back to Donna Reed, was when, you know, they were young and they were singing the song and she said, oh, don't, you know, don't, don't break the, the glass out of that. It's a wonderful old house. And, and it's more <laughs> like the, you know, you see it and, and it's really a trash heap, you know, yeah. and people have broken windows out and everything, but she really loves it because she sees and to me, that that is the perfect symbol. Uh, it's it's so symbolic to me because she can look at a house like that and see the beauty in it. And she looks, she has the, and I think that's what makes me think of her as being such a wonderful character is because she looks at the ugly and the devastated and can still see the good and the beauty in it. And I yeah. envy that almost. I, that it's almost something that I, that I haven't, that I feel almost envious about is being able to see that and to still see the beauty in it. And she does that not just for the house, but for George and for the other characters around her, the, uh, the other people around her. Yeah. She does that for she sees the good and the beauty in them, and she sees the things that they can be. And I, that's I think that's the other thing, one of the other things about her that I love so much. And you know, when you you see her working so hard over, you know, just does these little little clips of her putting the wallpaper up on the wall and 
and everything and, uh, you know, really restoring the house because it's not just a house to her. It's a home to her and there is beauty in it. And it's not just walls and not just brick, but it's the laughter and the love and everything that goes into making a house into a home. And, and that's, that's kind of what she is really is that's what she does like a literal yeah. homemaker yeah. right exactly exactly and yeah. I, I love that i love that there's two things super fast i want to say one bert and ernie i really think that these guys are the like the basis for sesame street also I think so. yes right and then when i believe so it's crazy. And then when, when George is in the cab and Ernie doesn't know him, there's actually an episode of Sesame Street where Bert is getting ready to go out for a job interview and he combs his hair down and Ernie freaks out because he doesn't recognize him. So he has to put his hair back so he knows it's okay. <laughs> That's so funny. So that was one thing. Two, catch this. Super weird and out there. I think that there are like some possible Stephen King connections. The house makes me think of it. And also, oh. when we're at the dance, and you know how the floor opens up, and then mm -hmm. so someone can fall into the pool, that, ladies and gentlemen, makes me think about Carrie. Oh, hmm. It does. Oh, yeah. I did not think of that connection, but it's, it does. It yeah, sure does. The house on Kneebolt Street is like an evil version of right? the house. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that weird? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, one thing also before we move on is that I wanted to say, First of all, that Donna Reed is so beautiful also. Yes. Like, and they know it. So they do this beautiful lighting on her all the time. And they've always got, like, just this, her face on the screen because she's just got this, like, shining, gorgeous face. Um, but also, she's kind of amazing because in the scene where they were supposed to break out the window... They had like somebody standing by that's like a sharpshoot type thrower to like throw Ooh. the rock to hit it. And she threw the rock and hit it the first time because she used to play softball and she was like really awesome at nice. throwing the ball. She had good <laughs> aim. So like they didn't need this person at all because she was so awesome. That's all right. That's good. That's good to know. I did not know that. That's, <laughs> I like that's interesting. Beulah Bondi. What about Beulah Bondi? She is great. And I. She's awesome. She plays. I actually read that she played Jimmy Stewart's mother in like four movies and then on an episode of his television show. So they did four movies together as, as mother and son. Um, wow. And she is such a different person in those in the alternate universe versus the real universe you know and I, I especially think about the scene of the night of harry's graduation where they're trying to have dinner and harry's running around and trying to get these plates and she's like you can't take so good plates you know and they made all this food you know and she's just like so happy and such a great mom you know to these two boys who kind of like run a ragged and everything but she loves every minute of it and then they have annie you know <laughs> her and annie are like <laughs> best friends basically yeah. um 
And then you go to the alternate universe version where she's running this kind of boarding house. And she never had George. And Harry died, right? Because mm. George wasn't there to save him. So she had Harry, but he died at like age seven or something. And then, you know, the father, Peter Bailey dies. And once he's yeah. gone, too, and Billy is in an asylum, she's alone. And yes. this is not somebody, I mean, the she's so much hardened by that those bad experiences that it's shocking almost i think and she pulls it off really well because you you see this and like it's in her face you know it's it's obviously it's in her movement the way she reads her lines but her face alone you see this shockingly different person you know that that was just hardened by life it was always amazing to me, I think, um, when you saw the difference between her as their mother, you know, because it's like you said about the scene, you know, she goes up to get on those boys. They're upstairs mm-hmm. rough housing like they always do. And then instead of her, you know, really fussing at them and getting on them for the rough housing, they come down carrying her and she's just laughing and just having the best time. And you can see, you know, her complete and total joy in her boys. Yeah. And, uh, and, and her family. And, and that kind of goes back again to, to the Donna Reed character too, you know, to Mary. I think, that the thing that, and I think, I guess it's probably the thing that draws me back again over and over to watch this movie is because it's a little nostalgic to me. Um, the Because you you remember Mama Wren. I mean, Mama Wren was a lot like those ladies. Yeah, I think about that all the time. Yeah. And and I'm we don't have you know it's such a fast paced quick moving world with women who have careers and not that there's anything wrong with that I do uh, have a career and all that those things that draw you away from your home and your family and I think that um, I think that I watch a lot of times. Um, not completely for it, but for that, the nostalgia, the feeling of remembering what it was like uh, back in the day when mothers were stay-at-home moms and their lives revolved around their children, their home, and their husband. And um, that you see that in them, in that. And then, uh, to me, and... I guess it also says something about me. I love the way that he would always concentrate on their faces in scenes like that, just like George in the scene in the bar was so close to his face that you could see, you could see the deep emotion on his face. And when she walked out of that boarding house, 
and stood there looking at him. You did, you could see, I mean, it was a, a close, close up of her and you could see um, how the different life, the harshness of life had changed her. And it was amazing to me to see her be able to act that different, different character. Yeah. And that actually is followed, if I'm not mistaken, when George is walking away, is that really like extreme close up uh, shot of George where he kind of walks almost into the camera and it like dawns on him that this is real and that like his own mother doesn't know him and he like has that moment of realization where he like actually like moves his face and his face is shaking he's like staring straight into the camera just an amazing risky shot yeah you know and and we had watched the thing where they talked about that being copied again and different things like um was it raiders of the lost Lost ark um but I think it was done to such great effect here because, I mean, George Bailey is having a nervous breakdown, right? I mean, no question. before he jumps in the river yeah. to save Clarence, he's having a nervous breakdown. He's having a nervous breakdown when he's at Martini's crying at the bar. And then he gets punched in the face and then it gets even worse and things just, you know, <laughs> compound. And then he runs his car into a tree and like, you know, it's just piling on and on and on and on after he's done you know he's had a difficult life anyway such a series of disappointments Mm -hmm. he's made all these sacrifices and he feels like they are meaningless because he's found himself in this very horrible place where he couldn't get any lower and then he just continues to sink right Mm -hmm. and I just, you know, I don't know. I just think it's it's amazing. He's having this nervous breakdown. He jumps into this river. Then he, you know, saves Clarence. He's in this situation where he doesn't know what's going on. Clarence is weird, okay? There's no way around that. <laughs> I mean, the character is kind of ridiculous. You know, even the angels say that he's kind of ridiculous. He's like a living cartoon. They said he's like got the brains of a rabbit. (laughs) But he says he has the faith of a child and that's why they want to give him a chance. And, you know, he just keeps saying like outrageous stuff. So it's like you take somebody that's already like snapping, like snapping, and you put like somebody who seems like a literal crazy person with them. (laughs) And they're just like, you know, so it keeps piling on and on and on. And you know, George could break here, but he doesn't because, you know, he realizes, he's able to realize through Clarence's trick, you know, of seeing what your life was like if you weren't, if you didn't have a life. Um, And he understands how much his sacrifices did mean, and that changes his perspective so that nothing has changed, right? Yeah. He goes back. The bank examiner's at his house. There's a guy there ready to arrest him. His circumstances have not improved at all. But his perspective has changed. Right. And that's what this whole thing is. It's like an exercise in 
understanding your place from outside yourself, gaining perspective on your life that it is very hard to get otherwise. Um, And I think that's really special. I think they did a really good job of showing that. And of course it has to have been good because it's been copied and parodied and, you know, built upon and it's, I don't know. This uh, to me, this is a classic because of that, because of how right. enduring and meaningful that type of story is, you know, and how literally everyone can see themselves in George. Right. Well, there's also right. like a very sly kind of Christmas Carol thing here happening, and it's happening from the very beginning, right? So we see these stars, and they represent two angels, then a third angel shows, right? So it's kind of like, oh, okay, so we've got three. We can do a lot of things with three. And it's like, okay, you're going to go help this guy. So we're going to show you the past. So we go and we do the past. Then we see the present. And, you know, instead of, you know, the future, we see the present without George, so it, it is very similar in structure to Christmas Carol. And again, you know, George has this massive turn because he was shown that, hey, this is what would happen if you weren't here. Yeah. It's a it's very, very like, wow. And I mean, Clarence doesn't actually physically show up in the film till about an hour and 39 minutes and which the, is yeah there's only 30 minutes left yeah and i mean i always think of him as a major player in the too. film yeah you know and this film packs in so much information you really have to be you know paying attention the entire time you know if you slip away you know like modern audience like myself i'm at home i'm like oh I wonder how much cabbage is at Ralph's. You know, I need to look that up on my phone. You know, I don't know why. Why? I, I don't wonder, know. Yeah. I wonder what street address Martini's house was right. at. Oh, look, it's still standing. We should go check that out. Yeah. Wait, what's happening? Yeah. I don't know. Like, and it's it's funny because I told you when I was a kid and I would see this, it's like I would see it in pieces because we would always have different activities going on. I know I have seen it, you know, as, as a, an entire film. You know, a few times in my life. I mean, my dad loved this movie. My mother loved this movie. So this was a big, big, big favorite in our house. And it is a movie that always leaves you feeling good. You know, and you talk about nostalgia. I really get you. You know, I mean, I don't I I don't know what it was like, you know, back in the 40s. I, I don't have that experience. But what I remember is I remember watching It's a Wonderful Life with family and friends. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, it's a movie within a movie, if you will. That That's kind well, of the way well, that it, was, it comes at it for me. It was actually made the year your parents were born. I know. Right? It's that nuts. Yeah, they the movie was made in June. My dad was born in August. My mother was born in September. Um, wow. Yeah, so, yeah, 1946, June. Mm-hmm. This is in production. I don't know when it wrapped but uh, yeah they actually my parents birthdays august 1946 september 1946 so yeah i i really i do dig this i do understand what what you're talking about with the nostalgia i definitely feel that too it's a it's just such a good movie and it's so well done and again all these traditions just kind of wrap around each other you know the christmas carol story is in 
everything. Yeah, it is. Well, and uh, you didn't mention it, but of course, Mr. Potter is such a, a Scrooge. Oh, yeah. You know, he's such a Scrooge yes. character. Yes. And there's no change in this. We just murder his ass. No, yeah, we just <laughs> beat him senseless and That's... leave him... <laughs> Leave him in to die in one of his. Well, slums. I had the perfect thing is pushing down the hill. Just like just like 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 Harry at the beginning, except you don't take him out of the pond. You just leave him there. <laughs> um, I did want to also talk about one other scene. I know I usually ask like, "What's your favorite scene?" But I think we've gone over like all these scenes. But I also did want to mention the Mr. Gower scene from the beginning because that scene just like lives rent free in my head at all times. Um, <laughs> it's such a good scene that shows you who George is as a person who he has been since he was a kid, right? you know, because he's so scared and doesn't know what to do. Um, and, you know, he notices something's wrong with Mr. Gower and we don't know at the time, like... <laughs> if you're just watching this movie this is the first time you've seen mr gower so you're just like whoa he's working for like this major alco yeah you know what's <laughs> going on and then like you know he sees the telegram he sees that mr gower's yeah. son has been killed or has died of influenza right. and this was around the flu pandemic years right um so tons and tons of people died of the flu suddenly during those years and so this isn't Mr. Gower's normal M.O. And, you know, George realizes that he's poisoned the capsules. And he, mm. but he's respectful because he's a kid, you know, and this is mm. his boss and somebody he cares about. And he doesn't want to say he did something wrong. He goes and tries to get help from his dad. It doesn't work out because his dad is busy with his own situation. And then he goes back and, you know, Mr. Goward was like knocks the crap out of him. Yeah. And he's still, you know, just apologizing to him and saying, yeah. like, yeah. I'm sorry, but I think something bad is in these, you know. And, you know, he really saves Mr. Yeah. Gower from a horrible fate, yeah. you know, from killing someone inadvertently. And it would have been a child. And we see right. that later, you know, when he comes on to Nick's mm -hmm. bar and he's right. an alcoholic and, and Nick says he killed a kid. 20, he had to do 20 years in prison because he right. killed a kid. And it's like George stopped that when he was like, mm -hmm. what, 12 or something? I mean, he was like a yeah, child. probably. And mm -hmm. just, you know, that's the kind of person he is. He has been sacrificing himself for others since he was a kid mm -hmm. and it sucks for that to have to happen mm -hmm. but as a person he's an amazing person well he really he gets is. beat up his like his ear is bleeding did you ever see yeah. that i never saw that till yeah. today it was like i have gotten smacked around by people but this <laughs> yeah. you know old man gower he's packing heat you know what i mean <laughs> Right, he could have been a boxer or something. Yeah. I was just like, he looks like a little old man. I'm yeah. so you're lucky he didn't like just punch a hole straight through him. Yeah, you know? well, and that's that, his worst you day, know, you know. And that yeah. kid that and plays you know, young George, the best. Yeah, I I thought that was he was really good, and yeah, and excellent. you know the and the young uh, Mary, you know, and and it shifts to her, and you see this 
beautiful little sympathetic face looking on at what's going on and knowing that, you know, because she flinches when he's getting slapped, but she's feeling the pain that he's feeling. She's feeling it too. Yeah. And uh, and you get an opportunity, I guess, with a, a world, the world that we live in. That's another thing too. Uh, things are so fleeting, and everything, and you get this feeling when you watch that of these little, these young kids that really love each other forever. They've just yeah. loved each other forever. She's loved him forever, and yeah. uh, and that does not change. You know, a lot of other things changed, but that never changed. Yeah. Well, and I love uh, how I love how it comes back around that Mr. Gower actually bought him his suitcase for his big trip. Right. You know. Yeah. And it also I think has a comment on how, you know, your worst day ever, you know, you could be judged on something that you did on that day, because like, this is Mr. Gower's worst moment and it doesn't matter like how good of a job he's done every other time. The fact that he made this mistake, if it had not been caught, none of the other things about him would have mattered. That would have defined his entire life. And just how important is it that George was there to catch that? Right. And did you catch also, and I, I can't remember just exactly where it came out, that he had never told anyone about that, not ever. You know, to, to be able to keep someone's confidence in such a serious, serious situation for so long. Like when you're that, so that young, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when you're so young, exactly. Uh, it's such a good movie. I have such a nostalgia with this, too. Because um, me and John have watched this movie many times together. And going back, you know, me and you, Mama, have watched this so many times together. I mean, we watch this multiple <laughs> times every Christmas. Yes. And even not at Christmas. We'd watch this in April. You know, we didn't we, care. We'd watch we watched it. It did not matter. <laughs> and we watched it at Mama Around and Daddy Ren's house. And yeah. You know, I remember watching it with them too. And it's just it it's just a movie that sticks with you and it really does not ever get old. You know, we our podcast is about rewatching movies, you know, and I feel like a lot of times we'll rewatch something and I'll catch new things that I've never seen before. And I didn't really have that experience this time. You're incorrect. Do you remember George's sensational strip tease? (laughs) Yeah. Did you guys see that? At one point, this is because we have a 4K now, so everything is in stunningly clear, you know, uh, restoration. When they're running through town, when George is running through town, the bad town, you know, where there's all the neon and everything's like a... A hellhole. Pottersville, right. right? Yes. Pottersville. He mm-hmm. stops in front of this one place and they have a poster up for Georgia's sensational striptease. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and I have never seen that before. Never seen it. So <laughs> I saw it this time and I laughed. 
and we paused so we'll put up a picture of that on instagram for laughs i never told you that that's who i named you after right <laughs> of course <laughs> not of really course. no i didn't <laughs> not really. oh man well you couldn't name, yeah uh, you could have named me after Violet Beck, I guess, too. These are the characters I don't really... Sam Wainwright drives me insane. Oh. The hee-haw guy. I just can't. I think we know people like him, though. So, I, I would just... I would try yeah, to be nice, not, but... Yeah. And I know he gives them, you know, up to $25,000 to help. Yeah. So, he's a good person, but the hee-haw right. has got to go. <laughs> Right. There's something else. So, again, tying into later movies, Back to the Future 2, when, uh, you know, Marty goes back to town, mm -hmm. and now it's run by Biff Tannen. Oh, yeah. Is it called like Tannenville or something? It might be. <laughs> I, I, but it's, yeah, it's, but it's the same thing. It's yeah. the same thing. It's like we have Pottersville, and now we have. Yeah, no. it's very, that has that feeling too, because it's like, it's all what if you had never been born, or what if you, you know, met your parents before they, before you were born, and, and things like that, so it's really, and then Back to the Future 2 is like a whole yeah, that's riff right on, on this, really. Well, because, well, think about it, right, the, the mom in that, Leah Thompson, is now like a, a showgirl, yeah, right? Yeah, and she married Biff. Yeah, and it's just like everything's this Las Vegas glitz, glamour, sleaze, just yeah. like what George sees when he runs through town. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, you know, to see like these different things, because when you talked about, you know, George's mother being so different and that being so jarring. Yes, I like yeah. she seems like a very tough woman. You know what I mean? Like, I think she will cut George if he doesn't get off the porch. It's true. She you know? will. You know, so it's like we have that. And then we have Back to the Future 2. What is the deal there? She has married their worst enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, like we said, so many movies were influenced clearly and did like a riff or like a take on this type of story. Right. Um, all right. I don't think I have anything else. Do you have anything else? It's a wonderful life. <laughs> Mama, yes, it is. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think that probably wraps up our episode on It's a Wonderful Life. Um, it's one of these movies I know I could sit here and talk about continually for another five hours, but it would just be, you know, just shut us off and go watch the movie instead. <laughs> um, it's well worth it. Jimmy Stewart kills it in this beautiful performance. Unforgettable. Um, and I know that I will continue to watch this every Christmas for the rest of my life, very happily. Um, yeah. So thank you, Mama, for joining us. Oh, it was fun. Thank you for asking. <laughs> we had a great time great, talking great to fun. you. And uh, your you. your literary insight served us well on oh, this episode. You. <laughs> yeah, you were fun, Jane. Like you had a lot of good things to say, and I really like the idea about pushing the old man down the hill. Yeah. Yeah. I like your That's style. Good. Yeah, it's good you to have keep you. That on the list. <laughs> yeah. uh, keep that on the list. Keep that on the list. Oh man! All right. Uh, well, thank you for joining us for episode fifty-nine. It's a wonderful life. We will see you next week. With what we don't know, but we'll see you then. <laughs>
So until then, stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody.